Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. To get more content and context from Skyway's team of former contracting officers, get a personal license to the Skyway community. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. Our topic today is contract modifications and why they take so long to process. We have two guests joining Kevin today, both former government contracting officers. Steve Lucianetti is a retired Navy contracting officer with over 30 years of contracting experience, mostly on the systems side. Tim Griggs is a retired Army officer and contracting officer who spent most of his career on the contingency and operational side of contracting. Let's listen in as Kevin, Steve, and Tim talk about the contract modification process. I can say that I've never had a contract that I didn't have to modify in some way, unless it was like a purchase order or something really small. But a lot of times the idea is that, oh, this is easy to do a modification, and I always feel like I'm, I'm the, the expectation is I get them done quickly. I mean, have you guys had the same experience? Yeah, I kind of backed into contracting and got thrown in the deep end pretty quickly. So I always appreciated the, the out that a modification provided me. I can correct mistakes or I can make up for oversights or, you know, and honestly, the government isn't all that good at developing requirements the first time around. So a mod was kind of a great second, third and fourth chance to get it right. So I've always appreciated modifications. It's like my philosophy was always I was one mod away from the perfect contract. It's <laughs> a great point. Yep. Yeah, and in this episode, we'll talk through why these mods take so long and what we can do to make them go a little bit faster. So first, let's stop and say thanks. I apologize if I butcher your name. It's Arena Garasimova. She posts on LinkedIn, and the, the post that she put out was sharing for all of my connections who deal with contracts on either government or commercial side. And then she tagged me and Paul and the podcast. It's just awesome. That's how people find this stuff, is people sharing it. So thank you, Arena, for sharing our stuff. All right, back to why mods take so long. Well, let's start with what is a mod we're we talking about here. And there's a whole FAR part, FAR part 43, that's about contract modifications. And essentially, the, the short version of the definition out of there is that it's a within-scope change to any type of contract. So what kind of mods did you guys do when you were contracting officers? I started off correcting a lot of mistakes. Um, just didn't have the knowledge base required. It was a pretty fluid environment. People, key personnel in the in the program management side or the you know, requirements activity rotating out, so they'd have changes. Uh, not a lot of time put into requirements, requirements definition. So a lot of corrective actions were my initial mods. Uh, as I matured into contracting, I got into the funding increases and you know exercising options. That's kind of a separate discussion, but but yeah, so. Honestly, modifications were a, a handy tool for me to get things right for most of my career. When I first started out buying almost exclusively hardware goods, um, mods usually consisted of uh, either we had a problem with getting that particular part or they couldn't deliver on time. As you got into services, it was more about uh, changes in personnel, uh, additional scope issues, which made them a little bit more complicated. And a lot of that stuff was also you know, adding funding as programs got their money. And then there's a lot, lot more complex, bigger ones on that have happened, but mostly they're the bread and butter ones. A lot of times you end up with a modification that's a combination of all those, which of course they all, inter, they all interrelate and make it more complicated. So in, in general terms for, for purposes of why they take so long, which is what we're talking about today, these are the kind of mods we're going to be talking through. So when is this? It's the execution time zones. 
this podcast 84 talks about the execution time zones. And the reason all four of those is there are mods, there's mods to close out the contract. There are mods that happen right at the honeymoon zone during the kickoff meeting. There are mods all throughout, like funding mods, all kinds of stuff. So anywhere during those execution time zones, how long they take is going to impact how fast the contract can solve the problem that the customer has. So let's start with the discussion around why do they take so long? Well, I, mods take a long time because primarily you're trying to fix stuff and many times you don't know what you're trying to fix. So contractor will come back and say, I have a problem. He's trying to execute while he knows he has a problem. So does he stop? Um, the government has to go back and say, well, what, what's, what's the problem? Understand the, the issue. On a service contract, it may be as simple as, you know what? The guy I thought I was going to give you has decided to take another job. I now have to go find somebody else. How do I perform? What do I do? So then they have to get you a new person. You got to look at their resume. That takes time. That adds to, you know, a workload of trying to execute other contracts for the contracting officer and for the program office, who's a million other things they have to manage. And now they don't have a body they thought they were going to have. So, you know, it's that queue thing. Everything gets into the queue and you wait for it to get processed through the queue. It's not in a vacuum. And the only problem that anybody has, just like I'm sure on the industry side, they have other contracts they have to manage, other people they got to deal with. And so that just spreads that process out. And that's just on a simple thing like that. Yeah, I would, I would say that uh, from the government perspective, the reason mods take so long is in general, they're designed to do that. It's kind of like uh, how Congress was set up originally to deal with gridlock i mean they were you, you kind of had to gain a lot of consensus before any laws were supposed to be passed and i think government processes follow that model it's it's meant to be slow and deliberate and you know not to rush into things and overdo it or go down the wrong path and that deliberation i think is built in and then you add stuff like competition and contracting act where you have to check and recheck and get reviews and approvals at all kinds of levels to make sure it's not an unfair advantage to the incumbent or you know we're, we're not blowing scope or any of that stuff so it's, it's really designed to be kind of slow and methodical and then in my experience it's oftentimes funding so they really want to do great things and they just got to get the money and the money isn't released yet and then they got to approve it and then they got to budget or it wasn't budgeted so now they got to do an out of scope or an out of cycle budget adjustment and if the government were the pros they'd be an in industry so you take a bunch of government folks and they try to do the best they can at defining requirements and it's going to take them a few times to get it right and things change and politics change and priorities change and budget allocations change. And so you just kind of deal with that constant chaos to try to get to the, uh, the final objective. Yeah. And one of the things I remember from it, from the industry side was that when a mod would come out, the complication it may create from the review side, from the, from the allocation of resources, allocation of people, all the things I say, hey, can you do this? And I don't realize I'm throwing a rock in their pond. And now that I'm on this, on this side, I see that sometimes. So I say, hey, they want us to do this. And it's causing these three or four layers of effects that they, as a CEO, I never knew about. And so the industry perspective, I don't know how to get that context. I don't know how to get that context to the government side other than you know, this podcast. The complexity is on both sides. What can take just as long on the government side could have similar impact on the industry side. Yeah, and, and I agree, Kevin, that, that, and as Tim said, there's a lot of times, if you get into issues of scope, if you get into issues of, hey, am I changing what I originally just competed 
and awarded this contract. Now I'm trying to change it. Am I getting outside of what I originally intended and then get into a, you know, a SICA issue? And you're over to your lawyer and you're talking to them. So a simple misspelling of a, you know, of a, a guy's name in a clause, probably going to get done pretty fast. Another piece of this is it, it's the spider web of people maybe impacted. You kind of alluded to that, Steve, with the idea of you know, the lawyers are involved. Well, if the lawyers are involved on a government side, they're probably involved on the industry side. And that's something that I realized. I mean, have you guys seen where a story will come and you say, wow, if this person were in the room, this mod could get done faster. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can point to an example where, you know, going through a, a, a test and development part of a program and you're looking for the, the scheduler for the test facility and you're like well what what do they have going on and when are they going to be able to get this piece of equipment you know onto the test bench and that person's not there so oh, we'll send him an email we'll give him a call we'll try and drag him into the meeting and nobody thought to, to make that contact so here you are having a meeting and a key person isn't there but yeah you have those kind of instances where that key person who has that one little piece of knowledge that you need in order to figure this all out isn't there that can happen so industry sometimes needs to understand what they're trying to propose and have the right answers before they even come to us. More answers they have when they come to us asking for a mod, you know, the better we'll do. Because it's just like when you first start out in business, if I go to my boss and I say, how do I do this? My boss is going to say, oh, you know, you're not really a smart guy. But if I come to my boss and I say, this is everything I, I think I need to do and I plan to do this. Tell me if I miss anything or am I doing it right? Industry comes to the table that way a lot of times, knowing what they want to do and how they're going to execute. It does make it a lot easier for the government instead of just coming and saying, hey, you know, we have a problem. Can we have a meeting? And then we spend most meetings just talking about the problem, not solving the problem. Good point. The discipline brought by both parties, you know, on, on each side of the table, they, they have to be kind of mutually committed to resolving the problem. And, you know, it helps to have a, a mature staff on each team that knows what they're doing and they, they've done through this before. So the third or fourth year of a multi-year contract is probably a lot smoother than the first year because they've kind of worked through all those hurdles and process steps and, you know, they've worked out the kinks. Yeah. And a lot of times on the government side, I don't know what the steps are to solve the problem. So going to your point, Steve, if they, if they bring say, here's what the problem is, here's how we're going to solve it without that context. I don't even know what we're negotiating for because again, I'm, I'm usually not the expert. The government team's not the expert on how to get it done. Industry is. Well, I mean, from a services side, I, you know, most of my problems in the service side has been about scope. What is the scope of what can I do? And I've seen some people just take absolute crazy liberties on the government side about what they thought the scope of their contract was um, that they had with this company. And you know, the company then comes to the contracting officer and says, you know, we need a mod because we've been over here uh, refurbishing this guy's office space. And I'm like, you're doing what? Refurbishing office space? Well, he asked us to do it. And it's part of our contract to, you know, support the, the, his office. So, you know, getting all the stuff that he needs to refurbish and hiring a contractor to go do that, that's within our scope. <laughs> like, no, it's not. <laughs> that's construction and and. Unfortunately, that is a very complex area of what you can and can't do in terms of building stuff. But it still gets that whole idea that, hey, you run off and then you come back later and you want me to go solve it. Well, if you come back later, ask me to go solve a problem and ask me to monitor contact if you already executed something, it's going to get a lot more complex. 
lot more complex. So from the government side, I found that if I communicated what we we're going to need sooner, which allowed industry to be ready as opposed to feel like they were reacting. I think something that can be done better on the industry side, now that I'm, I'm over here, is think about what questions to ask. Yeah, Kevin, that's a good point. That's what, what I was going to say about industry is uh, anticipate. And obviously, they're doing some of that at their own risk. You know, they don't want to incur too many costs. If industry can anticipate and be thinking two or three chess moves ahead of you know what government's going to need or two or three different ways to meet government's requirements, that will facilitate speedier execution and reaching a common understanding of what has to happen, you know, task definition. Yeah, and that doesn't happen without communication. I mean, the government folks, I, I didn't do that as well. Later in my career, I figured out, hey, here's a problem we're going to have. Like, for example, we think we may have $5 million in funding. We may only get $3 million. If that happens, what do you see happening? Just, just that email <laughs> is enough to give them a heads up so they can start thinking, because they can't, so they can't uh, play three chess, chess moves ahead if they don't know they're playing chess. If they think they're playing checkers, oh, you didn't move the knight to, you know, to queen six. You're like, what? One of the things that uh, I, I think industry sometimes doesn't pay a lot of attention to is a lot of contracts have like monthly status reports or quarterly status reports, you know, as a sigil, you know, as a contract deliverable. And like on a cost contract, that's really important that you keep track of your numbers and inform the government, hey, I'm spending at this rate. If you're thinking you're not going to be able to complete a task-oriented uh, event with your funding, you got to raise that flag early because of what you said earlier. If I got to go find money to go finish something, telling me when you're two months away versus telling me when you're six months away, it, you know, it makes all the difference because I, I, that's going to be a scramble to go find money. If you think a person's going to leave, same thing. The sooner you communicate that, the sooner we can all begin to solve the problem. So keeping your government person informed about the progress. If you're building something for somebody, it, that's also important. Tell us how you're doing. Are you having problems? Now, what, what happens if I'm, if I'm filling out those cedrals and the government's either not reading them or not understanding them? In the cedral, it says our, our algorithm isn't quite uh, perfectly aligned, so we're, we may end up with a 3% overage. What I think that means from industry is that we're going to have a 3% cost overrun what if I, as a government, don't react to that properly? What's my next course to say, to scream louder and go, government, this is going to be a cost overrun if they don't read this secret? Well, you know, Kevin, I think you communicate through Cedral a lot to the program office. Sometimes contracting officer doesn't even see Cedral. If you have an issue that you think is associated with a contract modification possibility, cost overrun, scope issue... Don't think communicating it by the sigil is going to solve your problem. You need to get the contracting officer into the loop in order to help the program office solve a problem. So reporting it through the sigil is fine, but I think you also, if you think the contracting officer needs to know, tell them. As we talk about what industry can do about it, I've been predominantly government, mostly government, a little bit of industry interface in some various government roles. And then since I've retired from government, there's one aspect and I, I can't accurately gauge. I know I've experienced some of it and some of my background, but there is an element of it benefits industry to slow things down because it takes longer costs accumulate. And in a sense, it's almost running out the clock. So if, if the contractor has the operating capital to defer or delay payments, and stretch out the whole modification, final negotiation process, 
they probably come out ahead for having done it. Uh, if they're operating on a shoestring budget, they, they probably don't have that capital to employ that strategy. But it, it maybe I'm being cynical. I don't mean to malign industry, but I think in at least in an economic sense, sometimes they, they benefit financially from delayed modifications. Yukas are a good example of that. I, I've never seen government come out ahead for having done a yuca. Usually it's government had to solve a problem and the yuca was the expedient way to do it and they ended up paying a lot more in the end because industry kind of held all the cards at that point, the undefinitized contract action. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. We actually did one on that one and we scratched the surface. They're difficult to manage from both sides. So what do you guys think, what do you think the government can do to either speed them up or just make people more aware of, of why they take so long? I think it's the efficiency of time. If you put the time into developing the requirement and putting all the ducks in a row, and I think you've said this in multiple podcasts, you, you put the time in up front and you save time and money on the back end because things just go smoother, more smoothly. Really, honestly, and it's your podcast this out, I know you should. This comes out to the efficiency of, of many times of the contracting personnel, you know, how stressed they are um do they understand what's going on and it's quality it's quality of personnel it's that simple makes things more complicated much more hesitant to to make a decision that is a factor in anything it's about risk a lot of times about what people are willing to do how much information they'll need before they'll make a decision and, and the, the takeaway i have from that one is we have the 80 20 rule that it's 80 percent process and 20 percent relationships to win the contract and so the, the after award, it's a lot more relationship. So to your point, Steve, is that the the uh, the actual capability of the person managing the process has a bigger impact. It had a big impact before in the in the pre award in, in that whole source selection process, but now it's a lot of personality. It's about trust. I think a lot of times, if I trust my contractor is being honest with me and giving me uh, good information and not trying to do like what Tim said, try to stretch things out to kind of get a better deal and, and all that kind of stuff. Over time, as that relationship develops, I'll probably react more favorably to him because I see him as an honest broker versus people who, who have over the years tried to do exactly what Tim said, try to you know stretch things out because it was their advantage to stretch it out and didn't want to solve a problem. You know, Once I caught up to them, that made a relationship very toxic and made things much more apt to take a lot more questions, a lot more time trying to resolve an issue with them because didn't trust them. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole podcast about trust. That's good stuff. Any parting thoughts as far as why mods take so long and what we can do about it? Well, I would just say that, you know, kind of hearkening back to the opening comments about modifications are designed to be at least methodical, maybe not slow, but certainly methodical step-by-step -step and thorough just build that into your execution timeline, your acquisition strategy. Forewarned is forearmed, you know, anticipate change, anticipate problems. And, you know, modifications are going to be a big part of how you solve those problems and deal with those changes. So just plan on it, you know, build it into your timeline. The earlier you identify a problem and get it into the mod process, two things will probably happen. The problem won't get more complicated and it probably will get resolved faster. Because nothing gets better by waiting. Yeah, what's that, what's that saying? That uh, problems collect interest. P problems are like <laughs> bank accounts. They collect interest over time. <laughs> Good one. This is fun, guys. I appreciate you taking the time. And we will uh, see you on the next podcast. 
Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks to Steve Lucianetti and Tim Griggs for joining Kevin today. And since this was mostly a government perspective podcast, let us know what you think about their opinions. Join us on the Government Contracting Network on Facebook. Thanks for listening.